I'm Dee Kafari. I'm a professional offshore sailor and I've been on the operations committee with the RNLI for 10 years and serve as the chair of the special interest group for sustainability. Well, I grew up near the water with my father having a motorboat. So it was like our weekend caravan that went on the water and every school holiday was spent cruising around. We kept it on the River Thames. So we used to go out the Thames, down to the South Coast and across to France, Belgium, Holland and have adventures. So I think I learnt my seamanship skills from my father, but also that acknowledgement of where the support or the, the help was if something went wrong. So I think my awareness was from a really young age. And now having become a professional sailor, I always joke that they're the people I hope I never have to see. Um, but obviously, you know, I've, I've seen them in action. I've heard the stories. I've watched the TV programme Saving Lives at Sea and been crying on the sofa. You know, it's just quite incredible that people selflessly give their time for the good of others in conditions that I know because I've experienced them that are horrendous at times. So, you know, from an awareness to an understanding to a gosh, I hope I never need them is uh, probably my relationship with the RNLI. It's interesting when people talk about the ocean or the environment or sustainability, because in a landlocked city, most people think there is no connection. And having being somebody who spends most of their time in open seas and oceans, explaining to people that every single one of us is connected to the ocean and it is our lifeline and it affects all of us. And every single action we do in our everyday life, whether it's choosing to refill a bottle rather than buy a plastic bottle, where we dispose of our waste, actually down the chain is affecting our ocean health, which is keeping our planet alive. And it's quite interesting that people so remote from the ocean suddenly start to understand there is an underlying connection. And I think in this day and age, there isn't a single person that doesn't have in the back of their mind a consideration for an environmental thought process in their decision making of everyday life and their businesses as well. So I've been very lucky. I was invited to join the operations committee and I didn't really understand back 10 years ago when I was invited to join this quite an influential group of people, what that would involve. But over the course of the 10 years, I learned more about the RNLI, more about the challenges they face and understood what my role was in helping facilitate the RNLI moving forwards. So I slowly learned to use my voice. And in that time, I skippered my most recent round the world, which was um, Turn the Tide on Plastic under the Clean Seas Initiative from the United Nations. And so it was a real movement into sustainability, environmental awareness, and that the power of sports and athletes having a voice. And then as I'm there as part of the RNLI listening and going to visit the stations around the coast and see the people, speak to the people, understand the challenges they face, and how out of the 240 stations we have, Different stations are focusing on different things and little things are being done everywhere. How we could collate that so as a uniform organisation, we're all moving forwards and learning best practice from each other. And uh, I kind of took that role on and then I was invited to become the chair of the special interest group towards sustainability just three years ago because the RNLI is super aware 
We're celebrating 200 years, but what we need to ensure is that there's another 200 years of the RNLI doing something quite special. You only have to look at the organisation to realise what a huge challenge undertaking anything sustainable is. We are spread all over the country. Every region, every community has different challenges to face. We rely on a certain ability on the water, which is at the moment fueled by big guzzling diesel engines. And innovation and technology isn't quite there yet to meet our needs through other means. It's happening, but it's, it's a process. So we had to be quite careful in what our aspirations are and the pathway to get there. So we, we brought up the kind of short-term, medium-term and long-term plan. So we've got the aspirations in 2024. So, you know, the short-term plan of making that zero um, avoidable single-use plastics. And I think people will see that quite remarkably in the retail side. You know, if you look on the shop, it's changed in the way they sell and what they sell, even down to the magazines being delivered without the plastic cover on. And it's this the small steps, but this is making huge gains in the right direction. Moving on 2030, the aim is to get zero waste to landfill. Now, every community is different. Everyone's got a different contract with different um, organisations. So, the infrastructure that we have in our country is different everywhere. So that's a challenge for each station to find out what works for them. And we're trying to collate that and get that data to make that work. Slightly bigger plans then is 2040 is zero carbon from road transport. We have a huge infrastructure where we need to deliver stuff out to keep our stations working and able to give that rescue service. And we need to find alternative ways. We need to speak to our supply chain, you know, there's electric vehicles, there's hydrogen being talked at, there's our tractors, there's our trailers, all these little things that we use. We're looking at collaborating with other industries that are moving this forwards to make that happen. And then ultimately, 2050, we're looking for zero carbon through scope one and scope two, which is the emissions from burning gas and fuel and the indirect emissions. And I think now if we think of a new lifeboat station being built we look at the climate adaptation. You know, what's going to happen in 20 years, 50 years in this area of coastline? Are we thinking that this beach won't be there? Will this be a floodplain? Is this going to happen? So we need to know that what we're building is going to withstand the future kind of effects that we're going to have. And then the sources of power that we're using. Are we using solar panels? Do we have a ground source heat pump? Are we using a wind turbine? And all this is right from the build, so it becomes much more affordable and it's probably a longer term way of thinking of things. So now as older stations come up for renewal or repair, these considerations are being thought of now because we know that our coastline as it stands today will not be the same in 50 years. You know, we can see that with our weather patterns changing. So we're really trying to kind of future proof what the RNLI looks like. But also how we're going to do things in the future may change. Technology is exciting. And I think this is where it's quite innovative and exciting place to be. Will we be doing a search and rescue or will drones be able to do the search and we just go and do the rescue? You know, that will change our needs as an organisation as well. So there's some very clever people within the organisation thinking about what the future could look like. And uh, once their brains start ticking, you know, I think this is exciting for the future. And I'm really pleased that it's in conversations now being had.
I think for me, spending so much time on the water, I, you know, I almost feel the need to see water every day, even walking the dog. It's the environment I really enjoy. Um, and being so aware of how fickle it can be. The RNLI allows people, I think, to relax and enjoy this environment. They help us to understand and learn about the environment so we can be safe, but ultimately they've got our backs if it all goes wrong. So, you know, for me, it's that confidence and comfort that they provide should the worst happen. Hello, it's Phil Coulter here. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org 200 Voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Two Hundred Voices is produced for the RNLI by Adventurous Audio Limited.